Um, I, um, I, I want for us to jump in here this morning with um, just starting off the first several verses. And so I want to ask that you, in your Bibles, read along with me. And would you stand as we read, if you're able to do so. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 7. <clears throat> Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to have a seat, and um, in a moment we will go to the Lord in prayer. We just read the beginning of the book of Romans, but I want to go back here for just a moment and talk about um, the theme verse, what is often considered the theme verse for Romans. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of, for the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The book of Romans is packed with this reality that faith in Jesus alone is what leads to salvation. And as we work through this book, we're going to see that over and over and over again. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by doing good things that we will be saved. It's not our good intentions. The only way to be saved from sin and eternal separation from God is by faith in Jesus. So Paul's going to build this case for faith. He's going to, from the very beginning, he's going to argue from the, both from the point of the defense and the um, prosecution for faith. Now, I'll tell you from the beginning that this is a very intimidating book. Um, there's a lot of deep stuff that can be really hard to understand, but I cannot begin to tell you how encouraged I am by Peter. Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, he refers to Paul in his letters when he says this. He says, as he, Paul, does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Here's what he says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Paul's talking about Paul's letters, excuse me, Peter's talking about Paul's letters to the churches, and Romans is one of those because Peter wrote this well after Paul would have written the book of Romans. And he's writing about these letters that Paul has written, and you can just imagine that Peter's sitting there with, with Paul's letters in his hand, and he's thinking, man, they didn't, they didn't teach me this stuff in seminary anywhere. I have that a lot, by the way, as pastor. I think, man, I didn't learn this in seminary. I don't know what to do here. But we are not alone in any kind of difficulty that we may have in understanding some of the deeply significant but really hard-to-understand concepts that Paul's going to talk about in this book. But that's okay. Because I'm also encouraged by 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, that tells us that the Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. In fact, it says, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, and then reveals those things to us. Whatever it is that God wants us to know, He reveals them to us. So we have the Holy Spirit who's going to teach us and instruct us as we work through this. James tells us that if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. 
So this morning, before we even get into this very deep book, very intimidating book, I want to stop and just ask the Holy Spirit to use the book of Romans to mold and shape our lives and to shape our church to where we can better honor the Lord as a result of being in Romans. So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the book of Romans. And even though we are on the the front side of it with a long way to go, I believe that you can use this book to shape and mold us in such a way that we honor you more with our lives. Father, like John Wesley, so many people have approached the book of Romans as skeptics, unbelievers. And then, Father, what they find in the book of Romans builds a case for faith. And what they find is the freedom of a relationship with you by faith alone. So Lord, I pray that those who who may be following along with us in this, maybe the Lord, they don't know you, that this will be the time in which they come to know you. Father, for all of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that we are reminded over and over and over again that the gospel is not just for salvation, it's the gospel in salvation as well. And that as Paul teaches us, Lord, we will come to know you better and better and know what it looks like to obey you as a result of our faith. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Paul begins this book by giving us a solid outline of the gospel. Um, He first introduces himself right there, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Um, He makes it clear that he's the author of the book. He then gives his calling, that is, that he is an apostle called to be an apostle there. Now, an apostle is a New Testament messenger who has received a message from the Lord that they are to give to other people. In the Old Testament, you had prophets who would receive a message from the Lord to then give to other people. So there's the Old Testament prophet, there's the New Testament apostle. Paul is an apostle because of the very specific gospel revelations that he has received from Jesus that he then carried out to other people under the authority of Jesus. So Paul launches himself then in our, in our passage today into explaining the gospel. There's an author by the name of Tony Morita who, who gives this quote um, in his book, Exalting Jesus in Romans. He summarizes this passage in this way. He says, the gospel is God's good news, promised in the Old Testament, centered on Jesus, designed to bring all peoples to the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name, transforming everyone who believes. So what we're going to do this morning is take directly from Marita's quote there, and we're going to couple it with the scripture that we find in verses 1 through 7, and we're going to use that to guide our thoughts, okay? In your handout, you can follow along. Or if you have one of the new books, you can write this in, all right? The gospel, first of all, is God's good news. The gospel is God's good news. Paul introduces himself. He describes himself as an apostle who is set apart for the gospel of God. Now, gospel is a word that you're going to hear a whole lot as we work through this book. The gospel is the good news that eternal life is found in Jesus. It's the good news that God wasn't content to leave us in our state of sin and separation from him. So Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect, holy life that I could never, ever live, but that is required for a relationship with God. He paid the death penalty price that he didn't deserve to pay, but I did deserve to pay. And he defeated death with the resurrection three days later. So now, when a man, woman, or child believes in faith in Jesus alone for salvation, 
Jesus takes his own righteousness, his perfect, holy life of righteousness, and he adds it to the account of the person who believes. It's like when I was uh, um, in high school and I had a bank account and I needed a little bit more money in my bank account. My parents would periodically, not very often, periodically take a little bit of money from their account and they would add it to my account. I didn't do anything to deserve that money whatsoever, but they chose to give me that money and add it to my account. It's the same way with the righteousness of Jesus. He takes his righteousness and adds it to our account. The gospel is the good news that all of this that Jesus has done is possible for us. As a part of our study of this book, we're not gonna be able to help but to come across some really, really significant doctrinal terms. It's what we call the shuns, okay? The shuns. There's justification, sanctification, reconciliation, imputation, propitiation, predestination, glorification, regeneration, adoption, and so many more. We're gonna talk through these terms as we go through the study and talk about how significant they are when it comes to our lives, our spiritual lives. All of this is a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not one gospel for salvation and another set of rules or guidelines or good news or gospel for the rest of Christianity. It's all together. It's all God's good news. Next, we see that this good news was promised in the Old Testament. It was promised in the Old Testament. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What Paul's saying is that, y'all, this is valid. This is legit. This gospel is not just something that appeared out of thin air. God has been setting this whole thing up for thousands of years. Now, God gives us a Bible that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation because all of it from the very beginning to the very end is important. I want you to think for just a moment um, of when Jesus had just risen from the dead. He hadn't appeared to all the disciples yet. He had appeared to a couple. But there's two of his followers who leave Jerusalem and head home to Emmaus. And they're understandably upset because they've just seen Jesus killed on the cross. And now they're hearing these, these rumors of, wait, Jesus is alive? You, you, you've, you've seen Jesus? You're being told by the angel that he's alive? So they're confused and they're on their way to Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them on their way. But they don't know it's him. He hides his identity from them. Now, you would think that to cover up or to clear up any kind of doubts that these disciples would have about the resurrection, that Jesus would just appear to, appear to them. Hey, hey, I'm Jesus. Look, look at, the, look at the nail prints in my hands. I am, I'm Jesus. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Luke chapter 24, verse 27 tells us that Jesus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, he walks on that road to Emmaus and he doesn't reveal that he really is the risen Lord yet. What he does is he says, hey, look back at what I said through the prophets was going to happen. I can imagine that Jesus went back to the book of Exodus to show us that he was the Passover lamb. Deuteronomy to show that he's the prophet who would be greater than Moses. Micah, that he's the everlasting ruler who would be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah, the king who comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, the son who was pierced, who one day every son would behold. And over 300 other specific prophecies that would show the time, place, character, and ministry of the coming Messiah. 
And I can imagine on this road to Emmaus that Jesus would have constantly pointed back to himself over and over and over again as the fulfillment of those prophecies. Then there comes a point after Jesus and his followers eat a meal together that Jesus reveals himself to these disciples, then he disappears. And what do they say? Do you remember what they said? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? Get this. Not because of the presence of him while he opened to us the scriptures. That's why their hearts were on fire. Because he was pointing back to the scriptures and using the scriptures to show them how legit he really was. It was the scripture that cut them to the heart. It was a scripture that showed the legitimacy of the gospel. And one of the things we're going to find from Paul as we work through this book is that he constantly opens the scriptures to to explain to the Christians in the Roman church how Jesus is truly the Son of God and how life can be found in him alone. Paul also tells us here at the beginning of Romans that the gospel is centered on Jesus. It's centered on Jesus. Verses 3 through 4. He says, concerning his son, concerning Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. In other words, he is of the line and lineage of David, physically. Was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. The Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus proves that those scriptures were right. If you want to make a case for faith, a case for the legitimacy of the gospel, then there's two main places to go. You go back to the Old Testament, as we talked about a moment ago, but you also go to the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is the single most significant and important event in all of Christianity. If the resurrection truly happened, then it is game on for all things Christian. But if it didn't, then it's game over because everything that we believe about Christianity is a hoax. Paul's going to have a lot more to say about the resurrection later in the book, but for now, here in the very first few verses of this long letter to the Roman Christians, he simply points to Jesus using the Old Testament and the resurrection to say he is legit. Jesus truly is the Messiah, and he is the redeemer of our souls. All of it centers on Jesus. What's the purpose of the gospel? What's the purpose of all of this? Well, it's designed to bring all peoples to the obedience of the faith. It's designed to bring all peoples to the obedience of the faith. I'm going to start in the end of verse 4. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, why does this good news need to be told? Well, to bring all people to the obedience of the faith. Now, when Paul talks about the obedience of the faith here, he's talking about a faith that leads to obedience, It's a faith that leads to obedience. Don't get this wrong. Please don't get this wrong. Obedience doesn't lead to faith. That's legalism. That's work-based salvation. That says that what you do earns you favor with God. No, it's faith in Jesus alone that then leads to obedience. That's how the gospel is designed to work. But you think about a tree for just a moment. A tree cannot produce fruit until its roots give the tree life and the ability to produce fruit. Faith is the root. Obedience is the fruit. 
Faith is the root, obedience is the fruit. Paul's saying that the goal of the gospel is that the root, that is the faith, produces fruit in the life of the Christian. That the Christian is so grounded in faith that they can't help but bear fruit. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 7, where he talks about how every healthy tree bears good fruit. The gospel brings us to that place of being planted firmly through our faith and this healthy spiritual place of being planted produces fruit through our obedience. He goes on to say that in the last part of verse five that this happens. It all happens for the sake of his name among the nations. For the sake of his name among the nations. The name of Jesus is worthy of being worshiped in every place on this earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to be taken to the ends of the earth. That's why we have the missions program that we pray the Lord continues to build through the church. It's because we believe in the importance of taking the good news of Jesus everywhere. It's not just a gospel for North America, it's a gospel for Africa and Central America and the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel's for every man, woman, and child with any level of breath left inside of them. The name of Jesus is powerful. Philippians chapter two tells us that that at Jesus' name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Acts chapter four, verse 12, Peter is speaking boldly to to the religious leaders and he says, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Later on in the book of Romans, we're gonna find that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is power in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, we take the gospel to the nations. But do you realize that the nations is your world, wherever your world is at? Your world is your neighborhood, your work, the places that you go to the gym, your school. That is your world. That's where you take the gospel. Next, we see that the gospel is transforming everyone who believes. It is transforming everyone who believes. And I'm going to look at verses 6 and 7. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Some time ago I came across a, um, a meme it was actually a picture of a guy on the stage, and he was preaching, and on the screen behind him, it said pretty much the outline to every one of Paul's letters. There's the greeting, with grace to you, peace. There's the gospel. There's quit being silly. He used another word, but we have kids in the room, so I'll, I'll go there. Quit being silly. And then there's grace to you. Really, that's a, that's a very, very, very rough outline for the book of Romans even. There's the greeting, there's the, there's the grace to you, peace. So what does that mean? What does grace to you and peace mean? We're going to get to that in just a moment. But verse 7 there, look at what it says. It says, we are saints, called to be saints. Paul's addressing those in Rome, but the invitation for salvation and subsequently sainthood is available to everyone. Now listen, sainthood is not perfection while we're still alive on this earth. But sainthood is a call to holiness and a life of being committed to serve Jesus. For the Christian, he redeemed our souls. He pulled us from the brink of eternal death in a very real hell. 
He restored us to relationship with God. He gave us a new identity and a new purpose in life. As we get through the first three chapters of the book of Romans, Paul's going to lay out for us the reality of sin and of the righteous wrath of a holy God against sinners. But when you realize what you deserve and you compare it with the gospel that is provided in salvation, it cannot help but transform us. Grace to you and peace from God, Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is, re- is referring there to God's merciful willingness to save sinful human beings. Grace is God's merciful willingness to save sinful human beings. Peace is talking about a life of blessedness as we benefit from God's grace in our lives. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all, it's not an idle wish. It's not a cliche sounding phrase. It is God's promise that is realized through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I ask you here this morning, is your life characterized by grace and peace? Have you experienced God's merciful willingness to save you as a sinful human being? Are you living a life of blessedness, benefiting from God's grace in your life? I hope so. I genuinely hope so, but if you're not, In a few moments, we're gonna be singing a song or after the service, you can come talk to me, but I would love to show you what it looks like to be a part of this grace and this peace that Paul's talking about, to have this relationship with God. I wanna summarize what we've talked about today by going back to the quote that I shared with you earlier, and this time it's gonna be on the screen for you. Tony Morita says, the gospel is God's good news, promised in the Old Testament, centered on Jesus, designed to bring all peoples to the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name, transforming everyone who believes. I entitled today's sermon, Man with a Message. Man with a Message. Paul's got a message for us. He's just barely beginning to scratch the surface of it. But here's that message. Paul's message is, salvation is for everyone who believes designed by God, centered on Jesus, resulting in our redemption and securing our hope for all eternity. Amen. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for the opportunity we have to study this book. But Father, if we only study it and we we become familiar with it and we don't let the words of Scripture penetrate our hearts, then all this time in the book of Romans is gonna be for nothing. So we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit has free reign to penetrate us and to change our lives. Father, if there's anyone here who, as I've been talking about the gospel, they've realized that's not them. They haven't come to faith in Jesus alone for salvation. Then would today be the day of salvation? Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.